The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Do you still listen to the Football Pod or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely. As I often said, I'm jealous that say, uh, I don't know who's so good, the little whore. Yeah. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. <laughs> Hello everyone, you're very welcome. Hello. It is uh, great to be here. We're delighted to be here. You've got a game at the weekend, I hear. So do I. Yeah. Well, they're all, I mean, <laughs> they're taking it for granted. They're already through, really, to uh, semi-final stages is the word on the street. So we've got a brilliant show for you. We've uh, brought some hurling royalty. We thought we'd talk a bit of hurling as well. So Eddie Brennan is up and we're going to hear about his career. We've mainly brought uh, Brennan Devenny just to laugh at Donegal, so we'll do that for about an hour or two, and we can uh, really enjoy that and indulge that. But uh, first, as Shane mentioned, we thought we would look back on 1993. I'm sure lots of you have very fond memories. So a warm welcome, please, to two of the greats from that team. We have Mr. Ender Gormley and Tony Scullion. Get yourselves up there now and nice and comfortable. Very welcome. You're very welcome. Yeah. Tony, good man. Listen, it's great to be here. It's great to have you with us. We are, as uh, you can see, here with our good friends Guinness. We're in the dugout bar in Mahara. It's all with thanks to Guinness. 0.0, 100% Guinness, 0% alcohol. More social occasions off the GA pitch are yours for the taking. Are you mainly on Guinness 0.0 or just Guinness out there? A few uh, sneaky winks I'm getting there from people there. Uh, fellas, you're very welcome. So 1993, does it feel like yesterday? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely not. Hard to believe 30 years all the same, I suspect. Yeah, 29, it's... Uh, oh, you're clinging to that year. That's yeah, important. absolutely. Yeah. Every year is very valuable now, but um, I suppose we're hoping that it'll seem a lot longer away this year if, and over the next few years whenever Derry are back competing at the top level, hopefully, mm. uh, because that's probably something we haven't been doing, So, which unfortunately keeps us too much in the... <laughs> in the public area, the public conscience, which... Uh, You'd like to be off the legend circuit doing these interviews eventually. Uh, we'll, we'll always be the first, but we'd like to not to be the only one. Tony, how often do you two see each other? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, on stage, it's pretty often. But, uh, not, as, not as often as number of years, Joe. Um, you know, we do promise that we should meet up once a year, and, you know, it's something that we should be doing. We did, unfortunately... Um, we met up on sad passing of our manager, Eamon Coleman, a number of years ago. But unfortunately, we, don't, we did go to down there a couple of years ago for a National League match. Most of us got on a bus and we had a, we had a good night. Uh, but as I say, we, we don't meet up enough because, as I say, the years pass so quickly. And I was, you know, we all are lucky. And when I look back, it was great to be involved with such a great day team. Mm. I might get the ball rolling for a second, just for uh, younger members of the crowd who are looking on. I'm going to get you both to say something nice about each other, and you can, uh, you can tell these youngsters <laughs> what they missed out on. Now, I know we're not very good at doing this, you know, Irish men, eyes to the floor, saying nice things about each other, so here we go. Jeez. Tony, we're going to go for you first. So we're talking here in Enda, <laughs> in a two-time All-Star, 1992 and 1993. He was the free taker, scored six points in the All-Ireland final. Kicked 25 points that season, by the way. Thank you very much in those five games. So why don't you expand on that for the youngsters who missed out on Ender Gormley? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he's going that's first. Hard, sorry, keep this clean. Keep Joe, this you're clean. Making a, that's very difficult for me. <laughs> for a balanced screen man to say something nice about a clean man. <laughs> but, uh, well, what can I say? You know, people talk about uh, fitness levels and... Uh, that 
you know, athleticism is the most important thing in Gaelic football. Well, all I can say about them that no matter what era, and then and the Gormley wearing 15 could wear that 15 jersey with Derry the day because you need the brain, and he had, he had the brain. One good thing I'm going to say about the All-Ireland final, it was great Niall Callahan had him slap because it woke him up that day. <laughs> uh, I believe he was well practiced because many a day he did it. But, but usually he didn't need a slap because he was always very, very consistent. And, uh, you know, he was a race marksman, full stop, uh, freeze or whatever from play. And um, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, if, you got a, if you got a shoulder from him, no, you knew you got a shoulder from him. And uh, corner forwards or whatever, you, maybe you felt an all day you could maybe get them out of the game handy enough and you give them a couple of wee, uh, well, not, and I wouldn't be saying, but you'd be, you'd be marking them close. Well, it wouldn't matter with Gormley. Gormley can play it, play it hard or fair, right. whatever you want to play with. Uh, great man, great man. And, he, and we were so lucky to have him for a long number of years. Can I interject with that then? Because you started off with saying he had great brains. Is that you saying the beauty was a little bit absent? Well, sure, you look at him now. <laughs> are, you, are you saying you don't want to flatter him too much? Well, you look at him compared to me. Look at the, the, the ship I'm on compared to him. And I, and I, and I, told, I was the oldest man on the team. But he's, that's, he's only a chicken to me, but doesn't look like it. But, uh, that's the life stage both of us love, but it's good. Uh, well, well, well. They hear boys talking to you about a few late nights around the Hogan stand. Uh, the well, help. well, we had. No, no, no. I, he wasn't. Uh, he, had, he definitely had the ability anyway. I think we'll take that as a compliment, and anyway. Now, I'm yeah. not sure they're coming from him. <laughs> Are you happy with that? Oh, I live with that from Scullion. That's <laughs> I'll absolutely live with that. Okay, so now it's your turn. Tell us about the man, uh, Tony, Tony the Tiger Scullion. Uh, so we're talking here, in fairness, four All-Stars in 87, 92, 93, 95, one of the great fullbacks of his generation. You can tell us more. Um, if they had a head or cornerbacks, Tony could probably have won four All-Stars in the half-forward line. That's what I'd say about Tony Scullion. Uh, best cornerback sometimes, particularly in those days, maybe not so much now, were probably uh, ruined as not been footballers, but been stoppers. Tony, he was way, way ahead of his time as a cornerback. He, he played mostly, albeit he started full-back in 93. He could have played five, ten yards in front of you, and nobody could have hacked with this. It was, he was way, way ahead of his time. Um, he could come up and I remember in an 87 Ulster finally knocked a, bo a, a ball over from outside the 50. I also remember, to give you an example of what I mean about the half forward, uh, he played centre half forward against us in a club championship match one night and I think he scored 10 points down Green Rock. Would that be right? Wow. You know, he, he could play it, he could have played it with both feet. Wow. Uh, talking about intelligence, talking about reading the game. Uh, like that era, it was good for me, but we were, I was training against two of the best cornerbacks in Ireland without a doubt and him yeah. Kieran McKeever at that, at that stage and this man could have played you anywhere whatever way you wanted in front incredible pace incredible reading the game two feet when two feet wasn't a big thing way 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 ahead of his time and as I say genuinely he would have won all stars in the forward line if he had been without doubt but just we only had one of them I'm glad so, thank, thank God, because... I, I'm glad he's not thinking tonight because I'd have to buy him a pound to I'm glad I asked the question, because it would be easy to assume, you know, big, strong, he was just an enforcer, so far more than that. And what about as a person? 
quiet shy backward and retired. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say, um, again, he was way ahead of his time. In those days, you'd have done a few laps. Some of the boys here of that generation, you did a few laps, and you'd lay about and stretch. Tony used to sit and laugh at us. And as it transferred, that old stretch is over. And now as, as the generations moved on, that wasn't the thing to be doing. It was all dynamic stretching. And then Squillian, when he got in the coach, he said, I was ahead of my time, boys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was great crack. Now, if you ever were having a night out, you could be sure Squillian would be in the middle of it and uh, leading the charge and never the first man home. Okay. <laughs> be careful here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Derry, 1993. So let's touch on that season for a moment. Eamon Coleman comes in in 1990. He's a young manager, 43 years of age. And Derry had won the Ulster Championship in 1987. But when Coleman takes over, you're in Division 3 in 1990. So if I was to say to you then, Tony, around that time, a couple of years out from 93, there's an All-Ireland in this team. Was that something you would have agreed with? Or was it hard to see when Coleman came in? Well, he, he made us believe. He told us there was an All-Ireland in us. You know, and we were just, somebody was talking before the show started there, but, you know, talking to Eddie Brennan there, great hurling player from Kilkenny, who's with us tonight, which is great to see. You know, there was a lot of us playing duel at the time, playing hurling for both county, uh, both hurling and football for the county. One Sunday you're away playing the National Football League for Derry, uh, and the next Sunday you're away playing the National Hurling League for your county. So, you know, you had the McKeever, you had McGilligan, you had the Downies, you had the McGorks, you had... Myself play, played, so we, and Eamon didn't tell us, he never told us to quit playing County Hurling, uh, but he made us believe that there was an Ireland football title on us, there was a Sam Maguire, so we made that decision ourselves among the group that we would, it was impossible what Eamon was demanding from us at training and whatever, and the preparation all, it was impossible for us to do both, both codes at county level at that stage. So we all decided to give the county hurling um, a, a miss um, for them a number of years. And um, as I say, he just drove it home that there was an Ireland, an Ireland title in us in 91. Down beat us after a replay and went on to one All Ireland. 92, Donegal, we, we, we disposed down the All Ireland champions in sun-drenched Caseland Park which was a tremendous day in the Ulster semi-final in 92, and Donegal deservedly beat us uh, in the Ulster final that year. And then in 93, thanks be to God, our day came, and we won the Ulster title, and we went on to win the All-Ireland, which was absolutely fabulous. Enda, can I ask you, do you think in today's age and our impatience, a young manager like that coming into a team, you know, he believed there was something in you, Maybe lots of other people didn't believe it. Would he have had the time and would he have been given the space to develop a team in today's day compared to the time you guys got in the early 90s? He didn't get it in 84, anyway, so I doubt <laughs> it if he would get it. Um, no, would he get that time? I don't know, but... Um, Eamon, to be honest with you, there was a, Eamon got the job because nobody else wanted it. That's where he wanted He took us in the minors. He won, Derry, he won a minor... All Ireland in '83 with Jay, uh, Ulster minor '84, under 21, All Ireland final '85, and just come back to Joe's point there, he, he managed us in the Siggers and uh, for a couple of years at Jordanstown, and I always remember just to think how he was thinking different to everybody else. This was in the '70s and '80s. Ulster or Connacht teams never realistically challenged for an All Ireland, and I grew up never saw an Ulster Connacht team, and 
I remember sitting one night with him before Sigerson final. We're all just putting in the team and we're picking day teams as Eamon because Eamon always wanted to manage Derry. And we were just, and he, we're, there was a particular individual that I said had to be a shoe in, and he looked at me and he said, No good, you'd be no good running up and down Crow Park after Jack O'Shea. And, he said, and I said, Shit, But we'll have to win Ulster. He says, No point winning Ulster, we'll have to win an All Ireland. And this was the way, at that stage, I thought he was mad. Mm. You know, it's just he was, his belief and his vision for Derry was, and his ambition was much ahead of everybody else at that stage. So he was way ahead of his time and that belief thing. And, to be honest with you, at that stage, did I really believe when he came in with one and all Ireland? Probably not. Mm. It was just it was a stepping stone as Tony went through here. How down was a massive factor, and then Donegal in '82 and plus one in the league was. I think again going back to Ulster's record in Crow Park, not just in the championship, to win the '92 league was a massive, massive thing for a day. It was only the second title day I'd ever left it in Crow Park. Well, okay. am, am I right in saying at Crow Park before that win, the league win in '92, where you beat Mead in the <laughs> semi-final? You played in Crow Park 11 times and lost 11 times. You pull that factor. <laughs> That's true, yeah. It's a hell of a record. It is, it is. And I think we won the next 11 right enough. Fair enough. So, uh, but uh, it was. And you, those things have an effect on you, you know. Yeah. You're, you're just thought... Because the first game was actually the semi-final. But that league was our first victory. Mm. My, for, my first victory. And it was a massive, massive thing to break that to break that duck. And then to follow it up two weeks later with the, with the league title was... You know, at that stage, I probably would have been very glad to finish like that. Had an Ulster medal in my pocket and a league, but believe me, Eamon wasn't. Albeit, when I say that, I can say that now, but at the time, I remember when Donegal beat us, we were absolutely got it in the Ulster final. We just, and there was a fanaticism come into the squad that year. Like, it was people talk about hunger. And it's not that, you know, even talking about throwing this year, it's not that the Throne boys didn't train hard. I don't believe for a second they didn't train hard. But you lose one or two percent, nearly madness. You know, to win that breaking ball, to make that last tackle, to, to track somebody yeah. back, just to go for a second rather than hesitate for a second. And that's, that could be the difference. And so in 93, you were possessed almost, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We were possessed. Uh, also, don't forget, we were well coached. You know, Mickey Morton, and he has proved it since. Absolutely superman. Absolutely superman. So they were, they were a great partnership. Absolutely great partnership, Eamon and Mickey together. And absolutely, your, your backroom team and doctors and physios. And, you know, I'm, if I start naming, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss somebody. So what I'm, I'm saying is, Eamon and Mickey, as I say, Mickey Moore and what he has done since that it, it has been absolutely superb. Mm. And Eamon, as I say, was the, was the manager, was the boss uh, in those times. And what a partnership. Just to jog the memory for a second, so we can't go through all these games and we won't in, in massive detail, but so the Ulster Championship, you beat down in the quarter-final, this is this down team that win in All-Ireland in 91 and 94, so you beat them in a quarter-final, then you beat Monaghan by eight points in the semi-final, then Clonus, Ulster final, and it's an eight points to six win against Donegal, and it's a monsoon day, people remember it because the pitch was probably half waterlogged. Half? <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, it's... Big puddles of water lying at you within two inches. Wouldn't go ahead today? Not at all. And the pitch was relayed that week. Right. And it hadn't it. And did anyone say we shouldn't play? And we were there and at the end of the day, as the old control the controllables, it was way out of our hands. I remember we arrived halfway through the minor game over the old change rooms in the, in the hill and just seeing the gap between the crowd and the, the change rooms and the minor game just come across and the water just... <laughs> they, were actually, they were actually puddles. 
puddles. And I can remember looking out of the old, as Jim says, looking out of the old changing rooms window. And I remember a dairy player, and the game had been delayed and stopped for a long time. My own surname, a lad scullion from Blahy broke his leg in the minor game. And believe it or not, I had to, I had to tuck two pairs of boots with me, studs and moles. And I was a wild man for the moles. I would always usually wear the moles unless, unless of the very worst conditions. And I had my moles on till to, to, to quite that day. And thanks be to God, it changed before, before <laughs> I went down the steps because it was... But there wasn't a made any difference because studs weren't catching either. No, Everybody no, it wasn't made no... Possibly wasn't made no walls. There were times you were sliding right across the pitch. And then it just turned from water till maybe towards the game went on to muck. <laughs> uh, uh, so it was, it was, it was, it was... I, we can remember, uh, <laughs> I don't mind this story, I, I, was it Joe O'Neill? Joe O'Neill. <laughs> Joe O'Neill, he was an ice cream man from Dungiven. <laughs> And he was told more than ice cream. Yeah, well, he, <laughs> he was he was in the house. We'll, and, just, we'll just say for the record that. The, so he had a pub. He had a pub. A oh, pub yeah, in a, okay. a, a, a grassy bank away from the Jerry Arthur stand. He was on, but uh, Joe was had, a, had an enjoyable day anyway. But he slid he slid down he slid down the hill, and he landed into our changing This is this is as true as I'm sitting here, and all we could see was the two eyeballs. He was just black. <laughs> Black, black, the whole thing was covered in muck. <laughs> unbelievable. We had to get him kitted out in tracksuits and stuff. Uh, it was unbelievable. Raleigh brought him in, of course. Yeah, that says enough about it. Unbelievable. It was just incredible. Did you get any ice cream? No, we didn't get any ice cream. <laughs> but we got <laughs> refreshments. <laughs> <laughs> there was a few frothy tubs. <laughs> <laughs> Semi-final, you get, you get Dublin. 15 points to 14. One point win. Could go either way. What's your big memory of Dublin at Crow Park? Oh God, there's a lot. Uh, going on five down at half time, and the supporters shouting, "Was it five or four? Five? Five, nine, four. Five down at half time. Dairy supporters, typical dairy. I'll never forget that. Right. Just uh, just going on to between the Hogan and the Canal End. There was remember there was a tunnel entrance in there. Yeah. And there's people from the Canal End. It was terrace at the time. And uh, I stuck on that. It was widely talked about at half time. Really? So it was actually typical dairy losers, you've, yeah. you've blown it. It's typical, as I said earlier, because my generation were growing up watching not just dairy, all Ulster teams losing. So people weren't used to dairy winning. Okay. So that was, uh, that was one memory. Now, there's a lot of good memories, but wow. that was, and that was possibly a, a good memory. And it was mentioned at half time inside? Oh, absolutely. It, it was, I and. You know, when you look back, Derry in the 70s had a great team. We had a great team in the 70s, middle 70s. We were unfortunate. We went to Crow Park, I felt one, 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 one Sunday was in the National League final or something, final way back in the 70s. 76. 76, and uh, we, we didn't get to bounce the ball that day. And that was an absolutely great Derry team. A great, great Derry household names, you know. Great, great men who I really looked up to when I was growing up. Uh, I mind being at Dean McGlinchey Park in Balanus Green, my own home pitch, which was the county grounds back then before Celtic Park was done up again. And I mean, God rest my father, taking me in a black Mariah bicycle to Balanus Green, and we'll be the first one in the stand. And the dairy team running out from underneath the tunnel. And it was, they given me a million pounds. It was just brilliant, that, that team. Uh, so going back to 93, and I've said this before, you know, it was many a day that we deserved to win, and we didn't win. 
That day we won a tremendous game of football against a great Dublin team and great atmosphere. We were play I was playing full back uh, in the second half and the hole behind me and was marking a great player called Vinny Murphy. Mm. And I can remember the crowd were shouting, Vinny, Vinny, they were nearly eating the wire. And, uh, <laughs> that was and, you, uh, Will. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, 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 and, you know, it was, it, if that didn't make you play, if that did not make you play, and it was great. And you will know, I know a number of them Dublin players, and you know the Dublin supporters, absolutely tremendous too, great, great people. Uh, what I'm saying is that game finished 15-14. And you know this, a draw would have been a fair result, if you know what I mean. Did Dublin deserve to lose it? Did we deserve to lose it? No, none of us deserve to lose it, but we'll take it. We'll take it. Because there was many a day we did lose that we possibly should have won. So that was absolutely tremendous to get till the first All-Ireland final since 1958. It would have been very easy to have fallen into the trap to have won a game like that, enjoyed it immensely and nearly forgotten you had an All-Ireland final to prepare for as well. That's caught teams out over the years. So can you, can you remember the preparation between Dublin and then that All-Ireland final building up to that day? Get absolutely, caught? absolutely. And we were being brainwashed by, no, with, our support was tremendous, but every day you went down the street, no matter where you went to, the game was with the Sam Maguire won. Because after beating Dublin in such a great game, but people forgot Mayo. Oh, sorry, Cork hammered Mayo in the other semi-final, if I can mind right, 5-15. Five, five, yeah. To maybe, there was 20 points on to finish up thing. 5-15 to 10 points, if, if my memory serves me right. And Cork hammered them. And that was a great, great Cork team. But everybody was putting this notion in your head, oh, it's Derry's year, it's Derry's year. But I'll tell you this, our management team, mature. We went to Glenullen. And they'll tell you. And Glenolan might have been only one, the one, only one, maybe, maybe the only club in Derry that had floodlights. And they had a great wee stand. And I can remember, Eamon was wild to, a man to play in 15 against 15. And we cut the tripe each other. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Gordon is talking about McKeever. Uh, and I had Brawley on the other side. But we, it, it was, this is a true, true story. A true, true story. There was a fight broke out one Which night. It's not always the case with him. <laughs> no, this, this, is, this is true story. I, I'm, I wouldn't, it was a fight. I'm not going to name the two, the two players. There's two bare blocks in the middle of the field that night. And Eamon came out with his own wee grin on his, uh, on his face and looked at him and he says, enough's enough, boys. And one, if not two of them, said, I thought you said Coleman had a fight for our positions. And he went back. Eamon wasn't in a rush. He went back either. and he turned and he walked with a wee grin on his face. He knew he had us in the right place. What, what was a big advantage to us was having lost the Ulster final the year before and after one in the league and beating Tyrone in the, the preliminary round of the championship, who would beat in the league and then beaten down. There was an incredible buzz around the county and we believe, I believe, we took our eye off the ball for the Ulster final against Donegal. And we honed in on that to not let that happen again. There's no way we had the same level of focus in that 92 Ulster final. So when we got to the final in 93 and all the hype, there was a great advantage in having lost the 92 semi yeah. or the Ulster final because that kept us saying, listen, remember what happened last year. Let's, we have a reason here to be here. And that, that did keep a focus. It was great, it was great going to Glenelg them times because the stand was packed. 
Oh, There's maybe five or six hundred people there to watch the film <laughs> matches. And, uh, was, was there anyone from Cork there? No, well, making <laughs> somebody up a tree. Is <laughs> <laughs> there a bloody gone man like Brendan <laughs> Domini or something like that? Have you had the present county <laughs> secretary there to run around with a hat? Mine was somebody with a feet more. Domini. He says no comment. Uh, an All-Ireland final is obviously an extraordinary thing for the players, but just as a, as a detour into the final itself, Tony, you mentioned your father there and going to watch matches with your father in the 70s, so a big football man and I'm sure a big football family. Tell us about his uh, experience during the 93 final. Mm -hmm. My father, for a long stage, and as I said in early life, he was taken, we had no car to house. Uh, uh, we were brought up uh, three miles out of um, the way, four miles from Banner Screen Patch. And, and, uh, and Glenn Parrish, by no, the way. No, no, <laughs> Joe, Joe, don't take that on board now. That's <laughs> Mickey Rookie's called. Mike, yeah, <laughs> my, father was, my father was a Glenn man, but anyway. There's uh, good in him somewhere. <laughs> so um, he had a talk in a black eye about, but um, when I, shortly after that, whatever, my dad took bad arthritis, very bad arthritis, and he wasn't fit till he was, he was in crutches and he wasn't fit till go to matches. So my father never seen me play live in his life. And uh, the day of the Ireland final, my mother, I think, maybe seen me once playing a club match, whatever. But the day in the Ireland final, he spent all the game in his bedroom with a pair of rosary beads, praying. And mommy had her rosary beads too, but she would be uh, giving daddy that what was happening in the match, she would go to the kitchen, Pray, watch a match, we man down, down to the bedroom and, and tell my father how the game was going. Uh, she was watching the TV and reporting to him in the bedroom. So that's what it was. And uh, my first born, Charlene, was born on the 5th of September 1993, the day of the All Ireland Hurling final. Mm. And um, Charlene was christened the week after in the Hurry Rosie Chapel in Ballon Screen in the Sam Maguire Cup by the late. Father Leo Deary, who was, who was a great GA man. And after that christening, I took the cup down, 22 car in the money lane, and placed it in my father's knee. And that was, uh, to me, that's what the G is about. Wow. Beautiful. I can, yeah. So I, I think we can all hear the emotion in your voice and telling a story like that, it's understandable why. Your father obviously cared so deeply that he couldn't bring himself to, to watch the match. That's right. That's right. That's right. He just couldn't, he couldn't bear watching it. Of course he watched it after, but he just couldn't bear watching it. And uh, it was just great to want it. Mm. And would, you have t would, you, would he have talked to you a lot about football? Was it your big connection? Or? No, Daddy wouldn't have, as I say, we were brought up, we were, I was brought up in a small farm and there was three, there was three of us, three boys, no girls in the house and uh, at that time all the, all the work was manual, there was, no, there was no machinery like nowadays and you had to get the turf home, you had to get the hay saved and all that and, uh, but luckily enough my father and mother never stopped me from going to the, the football field or the hurling or the Ballinscreen JC club so uh, I was always allowed to go if there was football or hurling on. I was allowed to go, and the other two boys would have looked after. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, I, I can tell you another story, but we'll maybe leave it to later. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, <laughs> so you want to tell him about 87? 
normally. You're with me too. We won. We won. We won the. We won the. Well, off, yes. we, we won the off the final in '87. This is a very true story because he can see it. And uh, and and also the title for us back then was Big, tremendous. Yeah. It was tremendous. And Plunkett Murphy had been given was the captain. So the the dumb thing was we had a great night on Sunday night coming home from Clonus and all that. But the dumb thing was go to the captain's town or the club the next day. So we all made our own way. My brother Danny uh, took me over. He the, the hay was being saved at the house and the hay, it was great weather and there was shaking of the hay and there was bales to be brought in and all that and bailed and all that. <laughs> but Danny says, oh, Danny was, Danny was, Danny was fair enough. He was the oldest brother. He said, oh, Tony, you need to go over there. And I says, I need to go for it. So <laughs> he, he ran me over. So on a Monday, maybe we ran it and gave him at 12, 1 o'clock. Well, we didn't get home till Tuesday. About, <laughs> me and him was thumbing over the Glen Shane Pass. And somebody, I can't remember who left us, but they left us at the bottom of Glen Shane Pass. And he headed towards Mahara, and I headed towards Bound the Screen. And somebody gave me a lift up the five miles straight. And I got to John Barney's. You know, so I don't know what John Barney's at, but it was a mile away from the house. So me walking down the road, me dying. I was absolutely <laughs> dying. Dying, dying. Never slept the whole night. And be hit, oh, you did? You slept in a cot? Ah, he's going to... So, 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 so That's not a joke. So we're heading down... We're he, I was heading down the road, and as I get closer, I was getting to the house, I could hear the, the, the shaker going and the, the biller going in the field. And that's the last thing I needed to see. So, <laughs> I landed in the house, and my father, as I say, he was housebound. But I went on round the front door that my father wouldn't see me. And I got down into the bedroom. And you, sure to God, mummy was up doing the hay and like with the, the lads and all. But you think she smelt me coming in. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing, 10 minutes later, I had my eyes closed and the bedroom door, blank for that. Get up and see if that hay up there. <laughs> <laughs> and I went up, this is through, and uh, we had great neighbours of cares and all, and they'd been, they'd, have been, uh, they'd have been around helping us. And I lay in behind the hedge, and they bought the hay and all that for me, and I slept the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> great crack. Oh, uh, dear. With stories like that, it's no wonder, really, that you guys had the strength, both physical and mental, uh, to go on eventually and get to that all well, you're missing the point. He didn't do any work. Uh, smart. <laughs> Remember earlier, you were, he, he praised you for your uh, smarts. He uh, also uh, had his uh, own layer of smarts as well. But I mean, so we move from hay and saving the hay or not saving the hay to saving the day. There's my pun. Oh, All-Ireland final, 1993. So your father, God, God love him, was in the bedroom with the rosary beads, frantically saying his prayers, praying you along. Your memory, do you remember even maybe walking around the parade, were you thinking, my dad is at home, or was all that gone out of your head, were you just focused on the game? Well, do you know this, I, I always knew my, my, my parents were at home praying for me, uh, because I don't want to be sounding here that I'm a holy Joe, I'm far from it, quite honestly. But, well, I think we're all shocked to hear but, that. But, uh, uh, I think we're very I, clear, it's your parents who are praying and not you. I used to bring my mother to the monks maybe every four or five weeks in Pokemon. And I was a priest, Brother Martin, I don't know, this, a great, great man. But then he would have bought me prayers, she'd have got me prayers, and we pray. And I had great belief in a wee prayer to St. Joseph. And I always wore it in the sole of my bit. And I always wore medals inside my togs. And when I had them on me, I says, hopefully I'll be guided. And was that your thought in the parade? On the parade, yes, I did. In the parade, you know, this. Uh, quite honestly, I don't know what ended up, but I took everything in. You know, you, you, you took it in and you have to say to yourself, right, this is a field, as opposed to the channel, but 
15 years, 15 years, a man to mark, and if you can cover for somebody else on top of that, great. Go out there and do your best and believe in yourself, you know. And, and if, you, if you lay back, if you lay back and play a negative game, then it'll not work for you in Crew Park. You have to be positive. You have to attack, attack the ball. You have to, if the, as a cornerback or a fullback, if you see space in front of you, that space is not for you. That's for your marker. You have to try to fill that space before you get into it. And you have to be positive. Cork are five points up early on. Mm-hmm. Derry turn around, they're three points up at half time. You get the job done, you kick six points, as I mentioned. I know you were battling injury all year, your crew sheet was at you, but you get the job done. Full time whistle, Enda, is it everything you hope it will be? Yeah, despite what the other quiet corner forward says, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I don't get that, I don't buy in with Joe's analysis at all. He's very famous as saying that it was an anti climax, not for me. Um, it was one of the few things in here that my life ever that. You know, if you won an Ulster, it was very, my brain set was very quickly turned into all Ireland. If you won a National League, it was whatever, that was it. That was Utopia. Like, it was, there was no coming back. So it was an absolute euphoria and was for a long time after. So you know, it was everything that... Listen, it was way beyond my dreams. I say, I keep coming back to the point of growing up and never seeing Ulster teams, never mind their teams winning. Yeah. As a kid, you had an aid, a dream, which you probably thought was far-fetched to play for Derry. But I wouldn't even have dreamt of, of playing for a Derry team that won in All-Ireland. It was way beyond. And what were the scenes like in Derry when you got home? Like, that's you know, still a very difficult, difficult time politically, and this would have been a real beacon for a lot of people. Can you remember the aftermath? Well, it was crazy because it took us so long getting home. The, the, such was the euphoria, like Draha, the Dundalk, uh, Bob why, Reagan. Why did you stop com- there? Coming up, there was, a pre- there was a reception for us in these places. As in... As in the local town had a stop, it was incredible. Like it was, we got to the town here, I think, at half three in the morning. Uh, and then when you got north, there was one in Kalevi there, just as you crossed the Cragdale. There was one in Uri, there was one in Armagh, the Moy, Dungannon, Roundabout, Cookstown. Well, there was a couple of receptions in Cookstown. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a group of red and white supporters, and then there was a group that added blue to it. Okay. And, uh, so there was a bit of a diversion there. Um, I don't even remember where we got into today. With money more, money more, Mark. I think we just drove at that stage. We didn't go to Mark. We go to Mark. We got to the town here, which was the traditional reception. So it was about whatever the town was black. (laughs) 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 It genuinely was completely full of people, and the people have been here from these people know better than me. But I think they were here from early afternoon. And waiting us, and I think we were due scheduled in to be in at seven, eight o'clock, and literally uh, it was well after three o'clock, wow. and we got up there and we parade the whole way up the town, and literally there was a human barricade of stewards having to clear a path in the road. It was absolutely bedlam. Uh, for me, like one of my memories was was Philly Carey Sam McGuire passed me one house and that reception on an open deck bus. You know, as you talk about a kid, then you see you see these soccer plays and you see whatever open deck bus yeah. to do that, to bring Sam McGuire past your own house. Your parents outside it, was, that was a very, very special moment. Yeah, I can imagine. Your parents got to the game as well, did they? My mother saw me for the first time ever in an All-Iron final. She kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and saying she'll go to the final and got the Ulster final. No, this is not it. And put it off, so kicking and screaming. But she wanted to go, but she, then she thought she was going to be the jinx. And, <laughs> Of course, I told her, oh, there's 80,000 people there. It'd be your fault if we could beat them. <laughs> she was a big game player. I'll come, yeah. to, you. I'll come to the Ireland final. But. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. So uh, and then she just took a notion. Her brothers would have played for day, and one of them had a bad car crash and paralyzed uh, in his prime. And that stopped her 
nothing to do with football. She didn't go to football after that, even though the accident was absolutely nothing to do with football. Yeah. Um, so she just didn't get in the habit, and then so she had never saw me playing. So that was. But she could only started for six months after we went to everything, and then stopped again. <laughs> but again, like uh, like it would been traditional, a lot of them wouldn't watch the games, would have praying and in and out, and heard me. My father, and my uncles would have went to games for every game, no matter who was playing. And my mother and my aunts would have met up, and they were some of them would have come out and kept her informed of what was going on, and she would have juked in and out. And but was, I think that was fairly common from a lot of. This is a terribly unfair thing to do. It's worth saying, by the way, Derry won seven All-Stars that year. You two, of course, and then there was a jotted it down. Johnny McGurk, Henry Downey, the captain, Gary Coleman, Anthony Toll, Brian McGilligan, all won All-Stars that year as well. But just, you read through the team, and it's just full of these names we all remember. There were two, mates, two teammates of yours, certainly, I think, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, your memories on. So, Anthony Toll, first of all. Like, I think we all kind of, you know, I was of an age where I didn't know every player in the team, but Jesus, Toll stood out even to a kid because there was something superhuman about it, it felt like. <coughs> it, Anthony Toll had everything. He was before his time. You just can imagine Anthony Toll in the middle of the field for any, for any team now in Ireland. He would be, he'd stand out. He was just... A superhuman being, yeah. A superhuman being, and um, you know, a lot of ones don't know he 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 had a trial with Manchester United. Oh no, it was in the pay. There's uh, like, there's a picture of him. I think almost I, like I, smashing Andre Kanchelskis and I, I, Ferguson I, saying, "Jeez, go easy here." And 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 I don't know. I've said before, and I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't mean he. Hopefully that he doesn't think I meant any harm. I I was hoping he wouldn't make it. <laughs> I, I, I was certainly hoping he wouldn't make it because uh, he was. Would we have won the Ireland without Anthony Toll? And you know this, just a super, 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 super player. But you know, don't forget about his partner too in the middle of the field, mm. Brian McGilligan. What a partnership! Brian McGilligan was it was was red in the road for Anthony. Yeah. But Anthony was. Wouldn't want to get caught in a sandwich between the two. Oh my God! <laughs> they were great, great men. Was Toll known in your circles as a good soccer player as well? No, Toll wasn't a soccer player. Toll's two brother-in-laws would have played, uh, played a couple of caps each for Northern Ireland. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, uh, Eddie, Eddie McElhenney and Jerry McElhenney. Jerry was an all-star back in the 70s and then went to play for Bolton. and uh, He was in the Northern Ireland squad in 1982 World Cup, I think. Right. And uh, Anthony lived up, when he got married to Sinead, he lived up in Park and played more soccer and he played a couple of games for carrying on over the winter. And I, I could be wrong on this, but I think he had played something like 10 games of organised soccer before he went to United for the trial. It was because of who he was. Somebody had saw him, they saw his size, saw his feet. Um, you know, because Toll, like one thing people talk about him as a Gaelic player, the best free taker I ever saw. He tapped 50s for fun back in those days. Yeah. When, you know, he had in the core, they had in the work the boys were doing. Sidelines, curled them straight, whatever. It was, like he, as, I would love somebody to do the stats on his success rates. Hey, hey, nineties! Like it's, it's crazy. Like in, apart from how good he was mm. as a, as a player. So, obviously they saw his footwork and they saw something. And obviously he'd been to Australia as Aussie Rules professional at that stage, and uh, thought give this man a go. It started off with I think some of the smaller clubs. Man City were small at that stage, and Stoke I think remember two clubs were in for him, and then the scouting world got on top of it, and he laughed at it initially, and then he's a big United man, so whenever United come aboard, he said I'll have a bit of that actually. Like, <laughs> so 
in two weeks, I think he played with Mark Hughes and the reserve game, Andrew Kaczelskis. Yeah. There was, there was three or four of them, like, uh, he, he had, like, he played, so it's, uh, it's a good story, like, it. Did yeah. he train more than everyone else? Because, like, my memory of him was a bit like Joe, like, we were, I suppose, children at the time, but Anthony Toll was, on, was one of those players who stood out, and I remember looking at him and thinking, he looks like you know, Superman, he looks so fit and athletic, more than most of the people in the field around him. Did he train harder, or did he work harder, or what did he have? Coming home from Australia, professional Aussie rules, he, he, he went out there, I don't know if people here of that generation remember going out, he was, it reminds me of actually the son going out now, in that he was very tall and lean, hadn't grown into his body properly, and after his first year, he just came home, and the whole chat of the country was, have you seen this, man? It's just incredible. Mm. And the Aussies would have probably done more bulking up then than they would be doing now. It wasn't that Anthony was overbulked, but he came home just a different animal. Uh, so he brought weights and he kicked the rest of us on, even though it wouldn't have been the same organised programmes at that stage. But okay, those good habits, they always talk about a bad apple on the barrel, but good habits seep through a, through a setup as well. And mm. some of the rest of us would have nipped and uh, I took his ideas from weights, but he was yeah, way ahead of me. He would have been, it was naturally strong, but. He also did a, a lot of work at that stage. And when you look at the, you know, when you look at the present day, you had Connor Glass, mm. who spent a, a period of time in Australia, and he's come back a superman. Chrissy McGeeg, Chrissy would have been uh, uh, Australia maybe for a shorter term, but Chrissy, Chrissy, not if Chrissy was at home in Australia, Chrissy McGeeg would be in queership anyway, because he'd be ticking every, every box like Anthony Toll mm. in preparation. Uh, Joe Brawley. So, <laughs> <laughs> he's the shy retiring type. Uh. Yeah. So wh I think we're all very familiar with Joe on television and like the towering intellect and he's such a brilliant communicator. What about Joe, the player? What was he like in that dressing room? Was he every bit as... Worse. <laughs> <laughs> Confident and, and uh, you know, just uh, force of nature in so many ways. What, are your, what was Brawley like in his 20s? I think it was... Joe Willie, been a couple of years, a fair few years younger than Tony, but he was a few years younger than me. But I wouldn't have known him through the underage setup because he, he was boarding school in Armagh, so he wouldn't have been through the school system here, which was very big in Derry. Even there was either some Pats or the intermediate schools did very well here in Derry at that stage. And uh, so Joe wasn't part of that, so he wouldn't have been massively well known. And when he came into the setup, basically the first thing was, who the hell is this? And I can give you an idea of how his personality has never been any different. And his first day he talked out for us, I think, was the, the drawn game against Down in 1991. And halfway through the second half, he went over and said to Coleman, are you going to lose this game or are you going to put me on? <laughs> and, and to say that to any manager, but to say to him and Coleman, like, was screaming, was a very strong character, was very, uh, like, that's, that's the and totally, like, are you going to do something about this? <laughs> and to be fair, now Eamon Burns made the big change that day, but Joe didn't make a difference. Right. No, he backed it up, but he, so he never was, never was any different. <laughs> Did he do the great orations in the dressing rooms? Like what we know of Joe is like, <laughs> uh, even like from interviewing, you know you're going to get a great answer, but you don't know how long it's going to take. And then you're trying to find the space to interject, maybe ask somebody else a question. Now, everything he's saying is wonderful. But it takes a lot of time. <laughs> was he like that as well in the dressing room? He wouldn't have got that much time in our changing room. <laughs> <laughs> there, have, there wasn't as much political correctness in our changing rooms. He, would, uh, he, got us, he got us turned with everybody else, but there was a lot of strong personalities in our changing room. and uh, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have just uh, sucked all up the way the press do. 
Tony, I, Tony, I think I heard you say he brought uh, certain confidence to things, and even when things were nervous, he had a certain relaxed manner. Absolutely, and you know this, he backed it up. Yeah. When he went out onto the field, he backed it up. And, you know, people can say this and that, and people, you know, kissing to the crowd and all that. That was his release. Whenever you're fit to back that up, he can, a man can do that, you know. And, you know, he done, he, he definitely had it. A tremendous ability, boy. Trem absolutely tremendous ability. Yeah. A for goal, A for a point. Give him half an inch and he would screw her over, no bother to him. Mm. Absolutely. And you know, even <laughs> your American was thin and all, he, he was brilliant because he would he'd be talking to he'd be if he stand talking to this here <laughs> as if it didn't matter. And we'd watching the table say where the ball was coming. And then and and and, and, and then he'd, he'd try to get we shifting away on you, you know. <laughs> I, I can remember one night, but many's an idiot. Well, I remember one night, one of them nights up in Glenullen. Anyway, I, I was marking him, and there's this big space in front, and I was marking the space, and, and he, he shouted, hey, Skull is ball watching! Skull is ball watching! Put it over the top! Put it over the top! So. <laughs> I said, Joe, if I'm ball watching, then you get the bloody ball then. So, I was, you know, he was a great, great player. Great player, absolutely great lad. And as I say, he, he did give you confidence because you knew, you knew he was up there along with this boy beside me. You knew if you got the ball up there, they would finish, they'd finish her off. Mm. But his confidence made him part of the player he was. Like, he, 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 he was from a boy in the pitch. He, he had no nerves at all. He just, just gave me that ball. Yeah. I'd put it over the bar. And, like, he backed up what he said to Coleman. He meant that, like... I, I'm, I'll go on here and I'll make a difference. I'd won this game for us. Yeah. Like he, and, and he did more often than not. Do you miss him on the television? Sure, we'll see plenty of him. <laughs> I, I do miss him on the television. Ah, you do, sure. Yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of people... I absolutely do miss him on television, you know. You know, I know times maybe he could he may have been a wee bit times overcritical and all that, but there was something about him. He, he was... You could listen to him. And, you know, he was fit to read the game pretty well. So... Yes, yes. I think he's a miss on television. And not only that, to be fair, I wouldn't agree how he goes about everything, but most of his arguments will have, I would be very strongly agree with a lot of his principles with the GA and how it's run. And, mm. You know, not everything to the exact T, but sure. he's never that far off the mark with all this bluster. Look, don't let him hear any of this nice stuff about him. It'll go to his head. Uh, well, <laughs> well, we, we'll tell him <laughs> the truth. We'll sort him out. <laughs> um, God, this was fun to listen to you guys reminisce, and it's, uh, it was nice to even hear you say nice things about each other as well at the start. <laughs> it was great. Definitely cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you give a round of applause, please? I think they were great. Tony Scully and Andy Gormley, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going we're gonna to keep things moving so we don't get too behind ourselves. But just to say as well, we do, with thanks to Guinness, have two pairs of tickets, two pairs of tickets to give away to Saturday's All-Ireland quarterfinal. Cork against Dublin, the big one. I know you're all looking forward to it. There's some match on before, you can go early, it's up to yourselves, whatever you want to do. Uh, so all you have to do to be in with a chance of winning is we're going to, when we're doing the football chat, the boys are going to come back and Brendan's going to join us on stage. We'll have a little bit of chat about the weekend. If you want to put up your hand and ask a question, best question uh, wins the prize. So just make yourself known to Shane and we'll get some questions before we wrap up for the this evening. So we'll reveal the winners before the end of the show. We are here in the dugout in Mara. It's all thanks to Guinness 0.0, 100% Guinness, 0% alcohol, more social occasions off the GA pitch are yours for the taking.